Welcome the Carolina Upstate Thunder women's professional basketball team to the Upstate of South Carolina. Tryouts are on December 5th beginning at 1 p.m. at Legacy Practice Facility. There is a $50 fee. For more information, call 864-787-5056. Welcome to Two Feet in the Podcast, where ideas and inspiration meet to produce action. Today, we are breaking down ideas and giving you a strong dose of motivation. Get up and get moving on your dreams with me. I'm the coach, Heather Macy, and I'm ready to coach you and how to live two feet in. Come wine with us at the Wine House on Haywood Road in Greenville, South Carolina. Happy hour, Tuesday through Friday, 4 to 6.30 p.m., 475 Haywood Road, Greenville, South Carolina. Joining Two Feet In, the podcast, is Coach Donnie Tyndall. Uh, Coach Tyndall is a Moorhead State grad, has coached at the junior college, Division I, and pro level. Currently, he's the NBA G League head coach for the Grand Rapid Drive. What's up, Coach Tyndall? Hey, Heather, how are you doing, Coach? You all right? Oh, man, I am so glad that you're here. We're going to have a lot of fun today. We're going to start out with the three R's, the rapid reflection redistribution question. That is a mouthful. We're going to talk to you about the what, the who, and the how. Give us some interesting facts about you and maybe a dramatic experience. Coach, are you ready? I am. Let's do it. All right. Tell us what you're drinking these days. (laughs) Well, I drink a lot of uh, sugar-free juice, some fruit juice I like getting. Uh, in Michigan, it's Myers. In the South, it's, uh, it's Walmart, but here it's Myers. And uh, when I do have an occasional uh, beverage with alcohol in it, I'll drink some Riesling wine. Oh, man, that's great. Now, now nowadays, we're all on Zoom. Are, have you been Zooming, and who are you Zooming with? Yeah, I have. I've had quite a few Zoom conferences, uh, different podcasts like you're doing yourself, um, talking basketball. I was on Coach's Clinic the other day and did a hour-long segment. And uh, so, yeah, there's been five or six things. And then with the Pistons, we have uh, weekly conference calls twice a week. And, um, and then when we start talking about some players for the G League, my general manager, John Phelps, and I will add a few people and we'll get on some Zoom conferences. So, yeah, been doing quite a bit of that here as, as of late. How are you staying motivated? Well, um, you know, I've always been, a like yourself, very driven, motivated person. So uh, nothing has really changed from my end. I think uh, the biggest thing is, you're motivated to do more because there just isn't a lot to do. So uh, the thing I've tried to do is go back through every game we played this season. And obviously you watch those games uh, during the season. Uh, But, you know, when you got kind of a clear mind, you've been out of the gym a month or so, you kind of see some different things uh, or maybe pick up some things you didn't see the first time. And um, so I've been watching our games. I'm about – uh, we played 43 games. I think I'm about 32, 33 in now. And then I've really been studying a couple NBA franchises. I like a couple NBA coaches, Quinn Snyder, Billy Donovan, and and watching some things that they do maybe at the offensive end of the floor, uh, you know, along with obviously what we do here with the Pistons organization. 
So you're highly motivated. Give us this. Give us something besides film, interesting things happening with you. Well, um, yeah, that's a good question because there's not been a whole lot going on, Coach. Uh, you know, my mom and dad live right here in Grand Rapids where I coach. Um, so uh, we're very, very cautious as they're getting older not to let them get out and do much. So my sister and I take turns getting uh, groceries for them. Uh, I didn't usually do much grocery shopping for myself in the past, let alone other people. So that's something a little bit unique. And um, and then one thing I've done is try to make three phone calls, minimum three phone calls a day to people that I maybe haven't talked with a whole lot. Um, Kermit Davis is a great friend of mine. We talked yesterday. That's an example. Just some guys that I've tried to reach out to and just see how they're doing, check on their families, et cetera. All right, later on in the podcast, I want us to dive deeper into the grocery shopping because for most <laughs> um, most Americans, that's a, a weekly thing that they do. But for um, some college coaches, professional coaches, and uh, in different industries, rarely, if ever, walk in. So we've got to go back to that. But um, the fifth and final uh, question in the three R's is this, Coach. Tell us the toughest thing you've ever battled. Oh, boy, that's a good question. The last four or five years, I don't know that there's been too much I haven't battled, Coach. But um, I think without question, uh, the number one thing would be, you know, when I lost my job at Tennessee, you work your entire life to get to that point. And I was the youngest head coach in the Southeastern Conference, which was um, a goal of mine is a dream come true. And so when I lost that over the um, NSA stuff that went on at Southern Miss, um, you know, that was very, very hard to deal with. Um, but, you know, it's like I used to tell my players, I tell my players now, you don't really find out about yourself or other people until things go bad. And so I had to dig deep and, and um, practice what I preach. You know, I kept scrapping and clawing and uh, not, not going to BS you and say they, there, that there wasn't some tough days because there certainly were. But um, we're on the backside of that and doing well and excited about uh, the direction of my career now. Well, that's the three R's with Donnie Tindall talking grocery shopping all the way to digging deep. So um, thanks for going through that fun little deal with us, Coach. But I want to go um, for the podcast listeners today, and let's talk about that. So you lose your job, your new identity, you've got your dream job, you're transitioning through. Just tell us things that we can learn, because listen, if you haven't gone through it, you're going to go through it, right? We all know this. Give us like one or two things that you go, man, you really have to have these areas ready for when you have adversity in your in your professional career. Yeah, I think, you know, um, coupled with your professional career, the, a big part for me personally, and I'm sure for a lot of your listeners, I know for you, Coach, um, having your faith, having your faith in a place where, um, you know, it's easy to question why me, why did this happen? How did this happen? But, um, to just, to just rely and go back to that core faith of, you know what, uh, this wasn't my plan, but it's God's plan. And, um, in believing that, and, and that helped me get through it without question. I had to lean on my faith very, very heavily. And then I think a big thing too, Heather, is this, um, don't let people talk you out of what your goals and your dreams are or what your passion is. You know, when I had my deal go down at Tennessee, I had people offer me 
different jobs in real estate, insurance, where I was going to be making, you know, really good money, three, $350,000 within a year or two. And at least that's what they felt I could do. And, um, all that at times was at least on the, on the plate in front of me or something I considered. Uh, but at the end of the day, basketball and helping young people has always been my passion. Uh, it's, it's what I am. It's who I am. And, and so I, I made a decision, Hey, if I've got to go to Canada and be an assistant in the G league for $30,000, which is exactly what I did to, to work with coach Stackhouse for the Raptors, uh, G league team moved out of the country to get back in a gym and do what I love to do. I was going to do that and not worry about, you know, the financial side of things or, or starting a different career. So, um, those two things really helped me to push through. And, and like I said, <clears throat> in a great place now, back as a head coach in the professional level. And my goal in due time is to be a head NBA coach. That may or may not happen. But it's like I said, uh, I'm not going to let anyone dictate to me what my goals and dreams are going to be. Um, and then you just got to work like heck to try to make them happen. So most people think that, You've got to start at the bottom, work your way up, just basically when you break into this industry, right? That's the only time you basically work for nothing. You know, you prove your way, you, you create relationships and make relationships. And, you know, I want you and me both to speak on and we can we can kind of dive deep into this is that uh, the majority of us have a point in your career that you have to make those same choices and you have to weigh that, weigh it with your ego, you know, weigh it financially, you know, what you're just talking about. And then really what your purpose is. So give a young coach who's breaking into this industry and think that they're always going to make millions of dollars and lead this really exotic life about what, what life really is like at a, as a professional coach and also as a division one basketball coach. Well, it, it's, uh, it's all encompassing. I mean, there's so many facets and phases to it and, uh, you know, the, the ups and the downs. And like you said, there's very, very few people ever that, that don't lose their job at some point in time. The one thing I always want to be able to say when my career is done, uh, and who knows if this will hold true or not, is I, I've never been fired for losing and, and hope that that never happens. Now, it certainly can and could, but, um, you know, what I was fired for had nothing to do with winning or losing games. But uh, I guess back to your question is there are going to be, there are going to be so many ups and downs, the exhilarating wins, the, the losses that should have never happened, at least in your mind, the the boosters and, and people in the community that you thought were really, really with you and your friends. And at the end of the day, when you're no longer the coach, they're not your friends and they're not part of your family. And it just hits you right between the eyes like, wow, I never thought this would happen to me. Uh, but many instances, those people love the position you hold and they don't love you. And you figure that out when you went through some trying tough times. But uh, I think at the end of the day, if you're a coach and you're in it for the right reasons, um, you're going to be able to put your ego in check. You know, it wasn't easy for me. I, I had a $2 million home. I was making almost $2 million a year at Tennessee. And a year later, I was uh, literally in, uh, in Mississauga, Toronto, uh, Ontario, just outside Toronto. And um, I was making... Um, $30,000 and I was renting a bedroom in a real nice couple's home. I had one bedroom in the home. That's where I live. So when you talk about having to put your ego in check, 
to go do that. Um, but you're doing it not for the money, uh, not because all of a sudden you're going to be back on ESPN because you're not. You're doing that because you love basketball and you love helping young people reach their goals and dreams. And so I would just simply say if you're in coaching for the right reasons, your ego is going to be in, be able to be put in check. Now, if you aren't in it for the right reasons, then it's probably going to be real hard to go from a great financial situation to $30,000 a year living in a bedroom. Um, but again, uh, that's the choice you have to make. That's the choice people have to make. And, and really, it was a no-brainer for me. I was going to do whatever I could do to get back in the gym and continue doing what, what I love to do. Be a survivor, right? I mean, that's really what most people quit by that point, right? If you can figure out how to get out of the fetal position and out of bed. But during your gap year or your gap period of time, between not coaching and moving to Canada, what were some things that you realized, you know, for me, it was had never not been a part of a team. So for you was, were, were real life things kind of coming up and what were some of those things that you realized during that period of time? Yeah. I mean, uh, you're, you're dead on it with what you said. You're, you're, you're sitting there every day thinking, wow, what, what's going to happen? And in my mind, I thought I was going to, win my hearing appeal and be back coaching college basketball in a year. And so everything I was doing that year, I did some TV and radio stuff for college games and, and stayed in the loop in, in, in that regard. But um, yeah, the real life is hitting you right between the eyes and the fact that you don't have any income hit coming in. Um, you really are out doing your own grocery shopping and cutting your own grass and things of that nature that, like you said, haven't hadn't been done by me uh, myself in, in years. Not that I was above doing it. You just didn't have the time to do it. So um, part of that was like, wow, this is the real world. But I tell you, the biggest thing that I, I learned and understood um, during that year, and I was going through a divorce at that time too, is like finding out how – important your faith and family is you know my sister and I are two and a half years apart and and I and I'd not return her calls on time I'd maybe text her back this is when I was coaching you know my mom and dad are literally my two biggest supporters ever and you know I, I was late in getting back to them at times and I, I'm just sitting there every day thinking you know it was so important for me to get back to so-and-so at the time and now they won't even take my call and I'm putting my mom and dad and my sister on hold at that time to get back with so-and-so. And yet these are the people that really love you and care about you. So I guess I'm saying all that to say you understand very quickly how important your family is if you ever lose sight of that, which I did. Uh, being perfectly candid with you, I did. Um, and, and so and you also understand how small your circle truly is. And on the flip side of that, how small your circle needs to be, because when you let a bunch of people in that you think are your buddies or you think they're your lifelong friends or pals, they're really not. They're mo in most instances, they're really not. And so when you're sitting there not doing what you love to do and the people you thought loved you, they really loved your position you held. Uh, it comes back to your family and, and, and your faith. And I spent a lot of year, a lot of that year. Um, leaning on my family and conversating with my daughters, et cetera, to help me get through that. So you're in Division I college coaching, 
you've got tunnel vision, you're locked in. Um, the priorities tend to get shifted when you're doing that. And sometimes you forget to do the simple things in life that we're all guilty of, which is connect, staying connected to your family. I had an athletic director tell me this one time, I think it's true, love things that can love you back. Um, and I think when you get into the to division one coaching and you're in this lifestyle, things start to shift. And not, not just for you and I, but I think for the majority, give techniques now that you've learned that if you could go back and do it or you could tell your younger self some ways to decide what is a priority and what's most important. Yeah, I, I again, not trying to be too um, spiritual here, but I think um, going to church or being part of a Bible study, uh, if you are a person of faith, is really important because it's easy to skip church on Sunday morning because you've got to meet a recruit for breakfast, or it's easy to not go to Bible study uh, with your pals because you've got um, to speak to the Rotary Club at lunch. Um, so that would be the biggest thing for me. The first thing would be if you're a spiritual person, stay in your faith, stay in the church a little bit, at least a little bit, um, because that's what's most important. Secondly, don't ever let it be more than 24 hours before you return a call or a text to a, a family member. There's no no one in the world too busy to return a text to your brother or sister, your mom or dad, or to call them back within 24 hours. Make yourself do that. And then I think thirdly, it's, it's something I was horrible at. Uh, I, I was so driven. I don't know that I don't mean this er, e egotistically or arrogantly, but I don't know if there was anyone in the country more driven or hardworking than myself. But you have to have some semblance of balance in your life. Um, and if that's um, going to, to eat lunch with your kids at school one day a week, if that's going to your Bible study one morning uh, a week, if that's um, making yourself work out for 30 minutes a day, if it's um, telling somebody, no, I can't do that this week, let's try to do it next month. Uh, it's not easy to say no because you never want people to not like you. You want everyone to, to like you. You want everyone to support you when you do happen to lose. You don't want more enemies out there, so it's hard to tell people no. But um, those are things that I think are, are really important. And, and really, truth be told, I was so busy. You were so busy. But there's no reason not to call or text your family member back within a day. I mean, that's just ridiculous. But people get that driven and that consumed. And, and, and then all of a sudden, a week becomes a month, a month becomes a year, and, and a year becomes three to five years. And you, you've lost contact with your brother or sister or whoever it may be. And, uh, and you spend all this time on these other people that at the end of the day, don't really care about you anyway. So those would be a few things I would really hit on. I appreciate you being so transparent and really telling us how this is, because these are the things that I think I look back on it and go, why didn't someone tell me that? So you're the NBA, obviously the travel is, you know, times three compared to what a college schedule looks like. But we, I want to go back to the grocery shopping. So we all get into the eating out all the time um, or, or, or grabbing something on the way home for dinner. When um, I, I started uh, cooking to relieve stress. That became a fun thing for me to do. But I can remember the first time going into the grocery store and going, 
wow, look at all this stuff you can do. You know, I, I, grab and go was not a term I understood or knew about. Tell us what, like, the funniest story you've got about when you went into the grocery store and things that surprised you or maybe had changed. <laughs> Boy, uh, uh, let me think here. You know, um, well, they say, you know, I've always been one. I got to work out to stay in shape. I don't have great genes like you, Coach. So I got to I gotta work at it. So they say, you know, uh, don't ever go in the grocery store when you're hungry, you know. And, and of course, I hadn't been in there much. So, um, you know, I try to do pretty well and eat the right way. And, um, you know, I guess probably the first or second time I went to the grocery store, uh, I got on my list fish, fruit oj some milk um you know just good health eggs some good healthy stuff your peanut butter for a late night snack and um all of a sudden you know you don't even realize it i guess but you're up at the front getting ready to check out and you got you know the a giant size thing of peanut m&ms you got some uh, a pack of cookies in there rather than oatmeal which i did buy oatmeal but rather than eating oatmeal i had a uh, a couple boxes of Captain Crunch Berry, my favorite cereal. So, you know, you go in with with uh, one plan of uh, eating healthy, getting good foods, and uh, I hadn't been in there a whole lot at that point. So all of a sudden, you see cookies and candy and some your favorite cereal. You're like, well, I'll just grab this. And by the time you get up the counter, you got a hundred dollars worth of junk food. You know. Oh, that's amazing. That is so fun. Yeah. The best thing that I've seen is like, I, I had no idea they had the pre-made all the desserts. You can get them in like, just like a slice of this and a slice of that. Yeah. And that that's totally my weakness. I can't go through the deli um, <laughs> without getting it. So, so listen, I want to, I want to get back to what you're passionate about, obviously outside of just coaching and an experience in your life that you would go, okay, here's your platform to educate the world on it, coach. What would that be? Well, um, you know, my, my thing outside of um, helping players and getting them to achieve things, pushing them, driving them to achieve things that they never thought they could do, uh, you know, a guy like Kenneth Faree, no scholarship offers, comes to Moorhead State, his only scholarship offer, and four years later, we've helped make that kid a first-round draft pick and, and pushing him every day. I mean, that that is – that is my passion, but you know, um, something that is just my passion or the most important thing to me outside, um, of my career is, is my daughters. And, um, you know, they both played high school basketball. My oldest Taylor goes to Valparaiso and, and she, um, she is a, a manager for the women's program there and wants to coach someday. I don't know why she uh, wants to do this crazy stuff we do, but that's what she wants to do. So that's pretty cool. So I, I think a, a pretty unique story, like I didn't get to see a lot of her games, of course, as she was coming up, because uh, I always had my own games. They live in Indiana and I was in Mississippi or Tennessee and, and then Michigan and Toronto that one year. So um, I, I got to go to one of her games and Taylor was a, a good little high school player. She started on her team, but she, you know, she was like the third or fourth scoring option. She was their best defender, just kind of a glue guy type of player. And I had told her, excuse me, I told her before the game, when you're in the free throw lane and, and your team is shooting, don't let the other team just block you out. We call this special teams with my my team. Like we try to get offensive rebounds every single time. 
that we're shooting a free throw if we happen to miss. Like, a lot of teams don't really go. Like, we freaking go hard to try to rebound the ball. We've won many games over the years doing that. Well, I, Taylor's like, well, what do you mean, Daddy? I said, well, when they go to block you out, you either cross real hard right in front of their face, or once you've done that a few times, you do what we call wheel off. You take a step in, and then you spin off and try to get to the – you know, just under the rim on the other side. And um, so I'm kind of telling her before the game. So I, I never got involved with any coaching. Like I'm not one of those parents up yelling or shoot the ball or I never say a word other than just clap when their team does well. But they're in this sectional game or whatever it's called in Indiana. It's a big game. And if they lose, their season's over. And so uh, it's it's going back and forth first half. She's in the free throw lane. Their team misses. She offensive rebounds it because she uh, went real hard, kicks it out. They make a three. So that's three points right there. So then third quarter comes. She does it again. She tips it out. They keep it alive. A girl ends up getting fouled. She makes a free throw out of two. Uh, so that's four points. Then there's like 35 seconds to go. They're up one. The girl's shooting a front end of a one and one. She misses it. Taylor offensive rebounds it sticks this time she wheeled off so she did just what I told her wheeled off rebound it laid it in got fouled and they end up winning the game by two or three points and um you know she got five six points herself for her team on uh, offensive rebounding so on free throws so stuff like that um because I I wasn't a dad that had them with me every single day um you know, you cherish those opportunities. So um, that was really cool for me to be part of that and to kind of help her be a hero. Because after the game, her coach even said something nice about her in the media. And um, so she got to be the hero. I got to see it. And it doesn't get much better than that, Heather. Yeah, there's no question. So you're a, you're a motivator. You are a coach that inspires Help us understand how you go from motivating, setting goals for, for your team, yourself, wherever you want to go with that, into a state of producing action. So we call it AOF in our program, meaning what does it take to get your ass on fire? What gets you motivated and going versus just motivated for that one um, little moment of time? Well, you know, um, for, for me personally, to get myself motivated um, – it used to be to prove a lot of people that cared about me, loved me, supported me to prove them right. So, you know, I'd get up in the morning and let's just say there happened to be a day. I just didn't feel like getting to the office early, which I don't remember that ever happening, but I'm sure there was, you know, to me, I would think about, you know what, I got to do this so that my daughters, my mom and dad, those people, can see us win a championship or they can see us win a big game or, or they can be proud of their dad or their son for having success. Um, as, as all this has transpired the last four or five years for me personally, it's become more of the people that have, we, we all refer to all the haters, you know, the people that have written things that weren't true about me, that have, said mean things about me and they have no idea about the truth or what really took place or the people that could have supported me when things went bad and didn't. Um, so anytime now, I, I, I guess this is what you're looking for in your answer. 
things that motivate me if I happen to not want to get up and get to the office earlier. I don't want to watch that extra game or two to get ready for the opponent. Um, you know, it's like, hey, if I don't do this and we don't have success, then all those haters are going to be smiling and laughing and, and glad we're not doing well. Uh, and I want to prove them wrong. So I think everyone has different things that motivate them. Uh, like I said earlier in my career, it was probably to prove the people that love me right. And later on, it's probably to prove a lot of people that uh, discarded me or kicked me to the curb uh, wrong, wanting to prove them wrong. So um, those are things that maybe get me going personally. Um, when I challenge my team, and I'm not an easy coach to play for because I make guys uncomfortable and push them, I really try to get to know a kid on an individual level so that I know what is important through individual meetings I have once a week with my players. And it's usually no basketball talk. It's how's your girlfriend? How's your mama back home? I hate last time we talked, your sister had a surgery in the hospital. And is she okay? Everything good. And, and then you ask them what they want to achieve and you can come back later and reference those conversations. Well, let me tell you this, uh, uh, Heather, so your, your dad, your, your, your dad was in the hospital with surgery two weeks ago. You weren't sure if he was going to make it and he's fought like hell. He's now out of the hospital back on his feet. And, and you're telling me you don't want to practice hard this week. Come on, man. Think about that. Your dad's fighting for his life and he's already back on his job at home trying to support you and your sister and you don't want to practice hard. So those are things that I think as you really get to know your players and find out what motivates them, you can use as a coach to push those buttons and, and help guys or ladies achieve things they never thought they could or would. Yeah. It's big time when you can take your eyes off yourself and you get to move. And then uh, when it becomes about, other people, right? Like you're, you're wanting to do that for your, your family and win those championships. Give us coach, what is uh, the best advice that you ever got in this industry? And if you would, while you're telling us about that, you've always, always said you, you had, you've never lost a job because you've, you've not won. And, and I'm in that same boat that you're riding in, which is a good boat, by the way, to be in. Um, tell us how, because the majority of coaches um, are not winning or at least not winning at an elite level. I, I think this, there's, there's two things that one, I would say to a young coach, I heard this my first year as a junior college assistant, when I was 22, 23 years old, a guy told me, remember this. And to this day, it's my biggest reference uh, or, or saying or reference to a young coach getting started. And it's prepare yourself. Don't position yourself. And you think about that. How many of these young coaches nowadays, they meet and greet and they network and they send emails and all the things that don't get me wrong. Those are important things to do. I did the same thing coming up in the profession. All right. So you're, you're networking, you're making calls, you're working camps during the season. You're sending an email. Hey, coach, so-and-so great win all in hopes that that coach will hire you one day or help you get a job one day. Don't get me wrong. That's invaluable and that's very important. But if you don't prepare yourself, so you're not getting better every day as a coach, you're not learning new offenses, you're not learning new defenses, you're not learning how to teach the game, you're not breaking down film and improving your knowledge, you're not 
going to recruiting seminars and learning how to touch people and uh, sales seminars to learning how to sell your school, all those things that prepare you. Then when you get your chance for positioning yourself and that coach does say, you know what, I'm going to hire Heather Macy. I really like her. She's stayed in touch with me for six or seven years now. And I think the world of her, but you get that job and you're not prepared all of a sudden you're going to keep that job a year or two and you're done. So you have to prepare yourself rather than just position yourself. That is, I think, a great saying and a great uh, thought for young coaches. And then the second thing is, particularly when you're going to be a head coach, because as an assistant, you kind of got to adapt to the role that the head coach wants or requires from you. I think, Billy Donovan told me this when I was 24. I just got to St. Catherine College, a small junior college job in Kentucky. And I said, Coach, give me some advice. He said, first thing and only thing I'll tell you, DT, is be yourself. Don't try to be Coach so-and-so. Don't try to be this guy. Don't try be yourself. Because if you're not yourself and you're not authentic, the players are going to smell it. They're going to see it. They're going to read right through it. So, those are two things that I think have stuck with me my entire coaching career. I've been true to those things. I've prepared myself working day and night, learning the game and, and, and trying like heck to become a great teacher. And then when I got my chance to be a head coach at every level, uh, I was myself. I didn't try to be Dwayne Casey's NBA coach of the year. I could not have a better mentor than Coach Casey at this level. I love him. He's an incredible coach. But I can't be Coach Casey. I have to be myself, and hopefully that's good enough. Um, and you go from there. All right. So as we're uh, wrapping up the podcast, can you give our listeners a strong dose of motivation to take it home? Well, um, it's a little bit – I'm not a big saying guy. Like, you know, I don't have a lot of slogans and stuff posted in the office or in the locker room. I'm not real big on that, but – but I think this, uh, and this sums it up for everybody, whether it's business, the corporate world, uh, any leadership position, and it's what I tell my team a few times a week. Don't talk about it, be about it. And it's pretty simple. You know, if you're trying to lose 15 pounds, you know, talking about how bad you want to lose it or how hard it is to lose it, instead of being about going to the gym and running a mile or two or walking every day for 45 minutes or lifting weights a few times a week, then it's not going to happen for you. So you got to be about it. Same thing, uh, you know, with your team. If you're talking to your team about, you know, being disciplined and, and holding guys accountable and being on time and being a young professional and, and treating people with courtesy, and then the first thing they see you do when you get on, the bus to go on a road trip is you curse out the bus driver because he takes the wrong left-hand turn. They're going to look and say, man, that's not professional. Um, so all those things uh, in life that you deal with literally a hundred times a day, are you going to talk about it or are you going to be about it? And if you want to be a great coach, you want to move up the ladder, it's easy to talk about, but are you going to do all the things every day that are required to, to make your players better, your program better, uh, your team better to get where you're trying to get. And, uh, you know, maybe that helps some people out there. Thanks to our guest and friend, Donnie Tindall, for being two feet in, reminding us to stay motivated to do more and prepare yourself 
don't position yourself. Visit the show notes to learn more about Coach Tyndall and to reach him directly. That's been the head G League basketball coach at the Grand Rapid Drive on Two Feet In, the podcast, where ideas and inspiration meet to produce action. A big thanks to all of our guests for breaking down ideas, giving a strong dose of motivation, and helping us learn to live two feet in. If you're looking for a career, not just a job, we're now hiring CDL Class A drivers at DMX Transportation in Duncan, South Carolina. Apply online at www.shipdmx.com.